you're listening to Unraveling Rachel. This podcast is all about this journey that we call life and how we can live it more authentically so that it sucks less and feels better. Sounds good, huh? Hi there, friends. I hope that this episode finds you safe and healthy and well and calm and at peace as well. Um, Even if that calm and peace feels fleeting because everything feels a little bit uncertain right now with what's going on in the world with this coronavirus and the way that our country, the world really, and our country here in the U.S. and the the economy, our jobs, the markets are responding. So some of you listening may be um, uh, selectively social distancing or feeling forced into social distancing. Some of you may still be having to go into work at a public-facing job. Um, I know that I would be in that place um, with my job. But I, my body is telling me that that is not a safe place for me to be right now. It's not a safe space for me to be in. I felt this way on Tuesday. My body felt very heavy and sluggish. And I've had a runny nose, but no other like big symptoms that would point to coronavirus. But I definitely was not in a place to be going in and working with the public and working in a high anxiety crowded area that um, is what grocery stores are right now. Um, Trader Joe's have been off the hook busy, um, as I'm sure you've seen um, for yourself firsthand or on social media. So I'm not sure um, how that's going to all work out, Um, and I think I am going to record another episode about that. Um, I have a lot that I want to share with you this week that has just been on my mind, come up in conversation, and I'm going to do that in little bits and pieces because one of the um, opportunities now available to me in this um, selected, uh, self-selected social distancing is the time to uh, express myself to get back to these commitments of connection and curiosity and expression. And um, so I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that. This is uh, looking at the bright side. And this is something that I think is available to all of us in this time uh, where we're being required to cut our social commitments and not go out and not go into work and not focus on the extracurricular activities um, and all the things that we have to do or we feel like we've had to do in our normal busy go 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 day to day um, now we can maybe have the time to focus on the things we've been meaning to get around to and always wanting to do but never feeling like we could Um, so conveniently some of those um, outward uh, what could be called distractions even if they are also you know, important things have been removed from us. So the other night I was lying in bed and I was thinking about um, some just discomfort I had in like my sacrum, my lower back. And I was thinking about the root chakra 
And I just had this call to return to a book that I read several years ago and one that I go back to again and again. I just, it has been so enlightening and really a catalyst for my healing journey. It is called Eastern Body, Western Mind by Anadea Judith. And I love this book. And I think it was a great introduction for me into the mind-body connection and just how how real it is, how messed up our culture is when it comes to it, and how um, how I can work with it. So it's based on, um, it's an exploration of Eastern body, Western mind. And in this case, the Eastern body is through the lens of the chakra system. For those that aren't familiar with the chakra system, um, it's like these energy centers that go through our body. And um, I think it's in mostly like Ayurvedic yogic teachings um, that she views this through in the, in the chakras. So um, think of like from, from the bottom up, Roy G. Biv, it's a rainbow. So the root chakra is the red, the um, sacral chakra, the creative center is orange. Um, yellow is the seat of the will, uh, the ego center. Green is the heart chakra, and that's the middle. It bridges the lower three chakras and the upper three chakras. Um, and then we move into blue, which is the throat chakra, um, our like main expression. Uh, Indigo, which is the third eye chakra, our intuition, and then um, violet, the crown chakra, which is our connection to the divine. So I was just thinking about the root chakra and the, the grounding. I was thinking a lot about grounding probably because I had um, done the orienting exercise uh, in Smart Body, Smart Mind. Um, and there was the encouragement to explore how how we felt connected to the ground beneath us. And that is something that's been uh, difficult for me at many times in my life to feel connection to the ground. It's something that I have been calling my awareness to more and more, especially um, since the surgery and since um, just coming to realize that this mind-body connection is, is mine to heal. So I want to read a little bit from her chapter on the root chakra, and I'm kind of going to skip around. Um, I hope that this translates well into um, podcast form and, and reading for you, and it's um, of interest. I'll try to keep it pertinent and short, and I'll probably comment as I go along and read. So the the root chakra, she goes over like the first chakra at a glance. Its element is earth. The name is Muladhara, meaning root. Purpose is foundation. The color's red. It's located at the base of the spine. It's physical. Um, it's about self-preservation. And the demon of the root chakra is fear. 
Um, and when it's balanced, we have good health, vitality, we're well-grounded, comfortable in our bodies. We have a sense of trust in the world and a feeling of safety and security. We have the ability to relax and be still, a sense of stability, prosperity, and a right livelihood. So I think you can probably see how this might connect to what we're experiencing um, on the level of the world, our economy, our personal livelihoods, uh, and within our individual bodies and our relationship to the earth. So the first bit I want to read, disconnection from the body is a cultural epidemic. Of all the losses rupturing the human soul today, this alienation may be the most alarming because it separates us from the very roots of existence. With jobs that are degrading, routines that are automatic, and environments that annihilate our senses, we lose the joy that arises from the dynamic connection with the only living presence we are guaranteed to have for the whole of our lives, our body. So that, this disconnection from the body being a cultural epidemic, and with this virus, this pandemic looming over us, shutting down our normal um, routine existence, that the automatic routines, the environments that annihilate our senses um, and also cause us to lose some joy because we're disconnected from what is our natural body. Um, it's kind of shaking things up. It's provoking fear, but it's also, I think, this opportunity to be called back into that root of our existence, back into our body and back into nature. Like we've seen that the result of social distancing and shutting down um, cities has been a clearing of pollution. People are hearing birds again. People are connecting with nature more, nourishing their bodies by cooking their own food, connecting with the people that they live with and getting to know them again. And really, I think looking, it's an opportunity, it's an invitation to examine how we've been living and to see a different way and a different side. And yes, it's also scary because it's shaking up everything that we know, how we make money and how we feel secure and how we're used to connecting and how we're used to finding a sense of worthiness and importance in the world. Um, and that, that is uncomfortable. Um, but like I said, it can also, um, it's un uncomfortable doesn't mean bad, I think. All right. So the next bit that I wanted to read, um, is it any wonder that we equally ignore our physical surroundings, damaging the body of the earth in order to perpetuate our dissociated survival? Perhaps the increasing problem of homelessness is a metaphor for our own cultural homelessness, for the body is indeed the home for the spirit. Our healthcare crisis extends far beyond the issue of insurance coverage. It is a crisis of connection with the biological reality of our existence. Degradation of our physical reality is a cultural epidemic for which there is no simple cure, no pill to take, no miraculous healing. 
nor can we necessarily ease the pain that comes when the numbness wears off and we awaken to the constriction and abuse we have previously accepted. Only by recovering the body can we begin to heal the world itself, for as mind is to body, so culture is to planet. Healing the split between mind and body is a necessary step in the healing of us all. It heals our home, our foundation, and the base upon which all else is built. So this is what I have been leaning towards lately and what I've been saying that healing for me personally, I know that healing this split between my mind and body is the path of my ultimate healing and also will contribute to the healing of those around me and have a ripple effect out into the world. And in this time of like self quarantine and seeming, you know, it seems like isolation where I also think that there's opportunity for connection, truer connection that um, we're being offered this opportunity to um, heal that split between mind and body within ourselves. Okay. And the next section, she, um, she calls it unfolding the petals of this chakra. And I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read about survival survival, and then the demon of the chakra, the demon of fear. Survival is the first challenge of being alive, the original instigator of feeling, action, creativity, and awareness. Without assuring survival, nothing is possible. By attending to survival, everything is possible. It's a quote highlighted on the side, and then this is the text. The underlying element of consciousness that forms this foundation is the instinct to survive. This instinct is archaic, fundamental, and unavoidable, and runs the baseline maintenance program of our physical existence. When satisfied, it retreats to a drone-like subroutine, allowing our consciousness to engage in other activities. When threatened, it dominates all other functions of consciousness— Where are your thoughts when you are suddenly chased by a mugger, spinning into a car accident, or facing a life-threatening illness? At these times, all available psychic energy is routed to survival and little is available for anything else. When survival threats are frequent occurrences, as they are for someone raised amid violence or severe poverty, then consciousness becomes fixated at this level. This keeps the body in a state of hyperstimulated readiness, flooded with stress hormones that promote the instinctual fight or flight response. One may feel restless, tense, and unable to sleep deeply, which may lead to frequent health problems over time. This is common in post-traumatic stress disorder, a condition where stress reactions continue to occur long after the trauma is over. So I think... There's more, there's more text in this part, but I want to say an aside that I think that I spoke to this a little bit. If you go to my Instagram, I did a little recap on what I've been learning in Smart Body, Smart Mind and the talk of how our nervous system gets wired and that baseline programming gets put into us. Uh, I myself had a very... Um, to me, a very traumatic upbringing, um, where I didn't feel like my needs 
were met where um, getting the things that I needed for survival was a struggle and where um, the environment was unpredictable. And so in some ways I lived a lot of my adult life in a state of hyper awareness and survival mode and continuing a stress reaction, even when it may not have been really necessary anymore. Um, So I'm going to go on to read. One of my clients grew up in a Guatemalan war zone. After 15 years in a safer environment, his muscles were still constantly tensed and ready to run. He had insomnia and a serious jaw-clenching problem. He was fearful and jumpy and had trouble concentrating and difficulty manifesting prosperity. He was a highly creative, intelligent, sensitive man whose body was breaking down in his early 30s because he could never relax. He could neither satisfy nor escape the demands of his first chakra. So there's an example that she uses of someone who was under a lot of stress and even once removed from that stress, continued to repeat that stress response in his life and hold it in the body. I used to clench my jaw a lot, a lot. And um, when I started to express myself more and get in touch with anger, um, that seems to have helped it subside. That's just my personal experience. Okay, I'm going to continue now. When the first chakra is damaged, we are plagued with issues of survival, including health, money, housing, or job problems. We may find that a basic feeling of safety and security seems to elude us no matter what we do, even when there are no real threats to our survival. The survival instincts lie at the base of the collective unconscious, as inherited tendencies and preferences that have developed in the human psyche over the course of evolution. These instincts from These instincts form the natural impulses of the body to defend itself and to connect with the environment. When these natural instincts are denied, we have a rupture between our waking consciousness and the very core of our being. We become disembodied and disconnected from our environment. By reclaiming the first chakra, we can live harmoniously with our basic survival instincts without being unconsciously ruled by them. Moving on to the demon of fear. When survival is threatened, we feel afraid. Fear heightens our awareness and floods the body with natural chemicals, such as adrenaline, to energize it for action. Fear brings our attention into the here and now to address the threat, but focuses the attention outward and upward to the chakras of perception and mental activity. We become hypervigilant, restless, anxious. We can't settle, relax, or let down. It's as if we're jumping right out of our skin. When we live in an environment of danger or deprivation, we experience fear. If danger was a frequent presence growing up, then fear pervades our baseline program for survival. The sense of fear brings a feeling of safety, as paradoxical as that might sound. We feel safe only because we are hypervigilant and become even more uncomfortable when we try to relax. The nervous system and the adrenal glands remain overworked. In this state of hyperarousal, our triggers are more sensitive and more likely to react in extremes. Our foundation is literally shaky and concentration may be difficult. As a result, the body is in a state of constant stress, which becomes normal. 
This may eventually create high blood pressure, heart trouble, stomach troubles, immune system depletion, weakened adrenal glands, insomnia, or chronic fatigue. Ideally, fear wakes us up from the sleepy, hypnagogic state of merging and trust, characteristic of the infant. When the threat cannot be overcome, we adapt to the fear and form ourselves around a basic contraction and shakiness. This is contrary to the healthy state of the first chakra, which is associated with safety, security, and solidity. To work through fear is to learn to relax and feel the subtle energies of the body, to have pleasure and expand our attention to a wider vista. To combat fear is to strengthen the first chakra. To live with fear is to weaken it. In order to fully ground into a solid foundation capable of supporting the rest of our activities, the demon of fear must be overcome. This means, first of all, that fear must be understood. Where did it come from? How did it serve you? Understanding is not enough, however, because the fear response is still lodged in the body. The next step is to release and integrate the instinctual responses to the fear. Does it make you want to run and hide? Does it make you angry and activated or paralyzed and confused? Allowing the body to express these responses helps complete the gestalt of the response to the original trauma. In its completion, the cycle of fear can be broken and a healthier pattern created. Finally, one must develop the strength and resources to effectively meet similar threats in the future. This may include such things as building self-esteem, learning martial arts, or improving communication skills. Although fear is the demon of the first chakra, it is also a sacred adversary, a presence that has much to teach us. Fear exists as an ally of self-preservation, teaching us of our own importance and the need to take care of ourselves. Only when we acknowledge this demon as an ally can it be truly mastered. Ernest Holmes, who founded the Science of Mind philosophy, describes both fear and faith as having similar qualities. Fear is a belief that something awful might happen, while faith is a belief that something good will happen. Although the results are different, the causes are the same. Both are beliefs that govern our behavior and influence the way we feel. If we can replace unreasonable fear with reasonable faith, then we have a natural antidote to our first chakra demon. I just want to read that again. Um, although the results are different, the causes are the same. Both are beliefs that govern our behavior and influence the way that we feel. If we can replace unreasonable fear with reasonable faith, then we have a natural antidote to our first chakra demon. I want to comment on this because I think that this time since my cancer experience for me has been uh, a call into deeper spirituality and there's been a spiritual, I see the spiritual meaning for me behind all the things that have happened in my life. And I see how some of my, my anxieties and my, um, feelings of being lost and depression and all that, a lot of it was not being in touch with spirit and having faith and it's kind of a soul sickness. And in developing this, I feel a lot more rooted and a lot more willing to go into feeling and being with uncertainty. Um, I had this notion that faith was religion 
And religion seems so staunch. So needing to believe you must believe in this God and this way of God's story and that Jesus did this and blah, blah, blah. And like people who were so devout just knew that this was right. And they called that faith. And what I've discovered is that actually faith is faith is being in the uncertainty. And I like what she says that, um, uh, reasonable faith um, is the belief that something good will happen, um, that there's a lot of possibility in the uncertainty, whereas fear is a belief that something awful might happen, that in the uncertain, that, there, that it's certainly terrible. Um, and in, in reasonable faith, there's a lot more resiliency Um, I heard someone say that, uh, in the unknown is actually the safest place to be because there's, that's where all the possibility is. Um, and kind of like, I just had this image come to me. If we think of, you know, the known is the earth and what we know here and the unknown is this like vast expansive universe, which I used to want to study astronomy. And then that freaked me out because there was so much unknown and I just couldn't deal. But now I'm like, wow, wow. There's so much out there that we don't know. How magical could it be? Um, Yeah, it's an interesting shift. So in this time of reexamination and instability and uncertainty, I think there is a call to connect with our bodies and our spirits and and what our deeper spirituality is. And if we can choose reasonable faith, um, then we have a natural antidote to the rampant fear. Okay, this is, I think, the last bit that I'm going to read. Let me see. Do I want to read this? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read it. If it doesn't make sense, I'll edit it out. Reclaiming our roots. The Sanskrit name for the base chakra, muladhara, means root support. The chakra roots us into our bodies, the physical world, and the earth. A plant cannot survive without roots, and neither can the psyche of a human being. Our roots represent where we come from, the earth, womb, our ancestors and family, and our personal history. We cannot simultaneously deny our past and maintain our roots. In order to create a solid foundation, we have to sort out the roots of our childhood. For better or worse, these roots nourished and sustained us in our most formative stages. Where the ground was inhospitable, we need to transplant our psyche to more fertile soil. This involves paying attention to the environments we live in and the ground we create around us. I want to point out here that the the ground that we're on now and the environments that we live in currently often reflect the um, the ground that we grew up on, the way that we grew up, the environments that we grew up in. Like you know, you hear people say that you end up dating your parents or like becoming just like them, and it's because we learn those patterns and. We learn um, from what we saw what to expect and we end up recreating that. And so if we become aware of that and if we become aware of 
the way that we were shaped through our nourishment. We go back and we examine where we came from, including our, our own childhoods, our parents' childhoods, and our ancestry further back, then we can heal that um, past uh, intergenerational trauma and create a new grounding for our psyches going forward. Okay, back to the reading. The Muladhara chakra corresponds to the element earth, which is the ground for our roots. As stated in the introduction, which I didn't read you guys, human life is dependent upon a supply of energy. Our roots can be seen as the way our system plugs into the larger system of the planet, which is our source, the origin of the liberating current from which all things grow up. The elements needed for physical survival come from the earth in various forms, the food we eat, the things we touch and see, the water we drink, the air we breathe, and the sounds we hear. We push against the earth in order to stand or move, and we rest upon the earth, nurtured by gravity, when we choose to be still. For most of us, our roots are unconscious influences on our behavior, like linked to elements from our past. To bring Muladhara to consciousness is to bring awareness to our roots, to uncover the past, to examine it, to delve into it. Everything that grows above branches out into infinity, growing more complex. Going down to our roots brings us into a singular simplicity and anchors us into the commonality of the collective unconscious. It brings us home to the earth. This is what um, I mean. I did a a social media post about this recently about... um, a realization that I had about the system that made me sick won't be the system that makes me well and how it's up to me to heal within myself. And what she says here about, um, I mean, I believe that, that this, this is true. Bringing Muladhara into consciousness is to bring awareness to the roots and uncovering the past and examining it and going into it allows us to, um, create something, create more fertile soil for us. Um, But then everything that grows above branches out into infinity, growing more complex. And so the system within, the instability within the individual and our roots goes out into the systems around us, into the economy, into the way that the world has grown and it gets more and more complex. So bringing it back to the individual, into our roots and focusing there on the healing and creating a a stability there, a grounding there in the collective unconscious is really um, how we will, um, I guess, build a new earth, so to speak. Um, To use Eckhart Tolle's words, I haven't actually read that book, by the way, but um, I think that's what it's about. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I actually recorded this whole thing and then decided to go back and include this after I decided not to include it as I was editing. So now I'm seeing if I want to include these other two parts. And I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, Grounding. A healthy first chakra allows a person to be energetically grounded, a concept that is critical to understanding basic aliveness and well-being. Grounding orients us in time and space. So there we go. Orients us in time and space. Uh, If you caught my uh, IGTV um, updating 
on the first week of Smart Body, Smart Mind, I talk about orienting and orienting in time and space and creating a sense of safety, uh, connecting to the environment. Uh, okay, back to back to the reading. Grounding orients us in time and space and connects us to the environment. Being grounded gives us a source of strength through connection to our body and environment. Physically, this happens through the legs and feet, through which excitement is passed up into the body and excess is discharged down into the ground. This means we can stand on our own two feet and move forward in life. Only by drawing energy up from the base can we create the liberating current that flows to the crown. Grounding brings consciousness into the body and is essential for forming healthy boundaries. Immunity is all about boundaries, by the way. We feel more awake and alive when the downward current of consciousness connects with the body and meets the edges and boundaries of physical reality. Many people who consider themselves spiritual have greatly improved their lives when they learn to send their energy downward as well as upward. We are typically taught that spirituality is only found in the non-physical realms, yet to truly experience our body's aliveness is to experience a profoundly spiritual state achieved by embracing our natural tendencies rather than denying them through ascetic practices. When we are grounded, we can be present, focused, dynamic. Our attention is concentrated in the here and now, bringing a dynamic intensity to the way we present ourselves. Our experience is direct, sensate, immediate. We are confident yet contained, connected with our own source of support. Without grounding, we are unstable. We lose our center, fly off the handle, get swept off our feet, or daydream in the fantasy world. So I want to say that I think we we see this um, this imbalance both ways in what's happening in the world right now, where without a sense of grounding, people are losing their shit. They're flying off the handle, um, getting mad at other people, blaming them for things, really, really giving into fear mode and panicking and just not able to handle things. And, and I'm not saying that this isn't serious, but there's, there's balanced reaction to it. And then we have the other side of it where people are like, yeah, whatever, it's a joke, just going to pretend it's not happening. And that's not really helpful either. So the ideally having having a firm a, a, a grounding in safety and um, a, a rootedness helps us react more effectively. This reminds me of discoveries that I've personally had on the slack line, which has really, really helped me with grounding because on a slack line, um, it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's unstable and it's really about finding stability um, on one's own where there is no true ground beneath. And once this whole social distancing thing is clear and we're back to doing things in person, I really hope to hold some workshops on that. Okay, back to the reading. Without grounding, we are unstable. We lose our center, fly off the handle, get swept off our feet, or daydream in the fantasy world. We lose our ability to contain, which is the ability to have and to hold. If we cannot contain, we cannot hold our boundaries and build up inner power. Thus, we cannot mature. 
Boundaries allow the hermetic seal necessary for transformation. Without boundaries, natural excitement gets dissipated and diluted and becomes ineffectual. When we lose our ground, our attention wanders and we appear vague and insubstantial. The healthy establishment of one's ground is the essential work of the first chakra and the foundation for any further growth. Here lies the basic rights of the first chakra, the right to be here and to the and to the right to have what we need in order to survive. Whew. Speaking to what is happening out in the world right now, right? Having what we need in order to survive in the face of fear with our survival energies triggered and different people being uh, driven by survival energy based upon how that survival energy was formed um, in their nervous system early on in life. Um, this is very related to the things that I talked about um, just in that little little bit that I uh, shared with you from Smart Body, Smart Mind. Okay, so there's mm, two last bits to read and I'm gonna go ahead and include these two. Nourishment. Nourishment is our most basic form of support for the body's survival. Our past history determines how we support and nourish ourselves. Without support, we fall. Without nourishment, we collapse. Persons who embody a sense of physical collapse are revealing a lack of support in their life and their bodies show a corresponding sense of defeat. They may question their right to be here, have difficulty nourishing themselves, or suffer from abandonment issues. Eating disorders are often manifestations of first chakra issues of nourishment. My friend Connie turned to food whenever she felt lonely, trying to make solidity out of her feelings of emptiness. Um... She goes into talking about another thing she talked about earlier that I didn't include. Um, reclaiming our right to be here, learning to ground, and attending to our need for nourishment are all first chakra necessities. That um, speaks to me. Um, eating food whenever she felt lonely, trying to make solidar- solidity out of her feelings of emptiness. Food, emptiness, seeking comfort, love, whew, big stuff for me, big, I got some root chakra stuff, you guys. Um, okay. I'm going to leave it at that. The next part goes into, um, it goes into manifestation and prosperity, which I feel like might be, Yeah. Hey, why not? Let's go into it. Manifestation and prosperity. The characteristics of good grounding, connection with our bodies and the physical world, self-nourishment and self-preservation contribute to the ability to manifest prosperity. I'm not talking about being rich here. I'm talking about meeting basic survival needs in ways that offer security, stability, and enough freedom to expand beyond survival consciousness. This means being able to keep the rent or mortgage paid, keeping the car in good repair, keeping our homes relatively clean and running smoothly, and putting regular meals on the table. This is about being able to handle the basic demands of the earth plane, the requirements of living in a physical body. In order to meet these survival needs, we must be able to deal with our immediate physical environment to extract from it what we need for our personal and familial preservation. 
This is the testing ground of our first chakra abilities. It gives us a means for our own independence, enabling us to stand on our own two feet, to stand in our own ground. Only by standing in our own ground can we determine our future. The first chakra is the most specific and limited level in the system. A limitation is a boundary, separating something from what is around it in order to define it. A boundary creates a necessary limitation that allows us to have something whole, something specific. In order to manifest, we must be able to accept limitation. We have to be able to focus on what we want to be specific about it. We have to be able to stick with it long enough for manifestation to occur. I have to be able to sit in my chair for months on end to manifest this book. It may be necessary to stick with long periods of schooling or training to manifest a good job skill. To become proficient at something, we have to practice it over and over again, limiting ourselves to that specific activity until we master it. I have known many highly intelligent and talented people, especially in the new age and counterculture circles, who could not manifest prosperity. What I've also noticed in this group is an unrealistic attachment to freedom, an unwillingness to accept limitation long enough to manifest their basic needs. As a result, they do not have freedom at all, but enslavement to a first chakra level of consciousness. As a freedom-loving Sagittarian, I spent the decade of my 20s in the state. I was free from the restrictions of a boring job, but I was also too poor to do anything with my freedom. It was not until I accepted limits with grace that I manifested any prosperity for myself. When we cooperate with first chakra limitations, our energy builds up and naturally expands to other levels. When we rebel against these limitations, we are kept in survival mode and are unable to get our liberating current up off the ground. The essential paradox here is that we must accept limitation in order to transcend it. This theme applies to all the chakras. We must consolidate each level in order to move on. I wanted to read this because I think that this idea of we're being limited right now. We're being asked to create some boundaries. We're being asked to um, stop doing the things that we enjoy and hanging out with our friends and going into work, even if it feels really important to to be in work or to be in school, um, to not you know, uh, pack the grocery stores full. Um, so, you know, you know, so that there's no room for anyone and that we're breathing all over each other. Um, you know, we're being asked to accept some limitations on the way that we've been doing life right now for, um, the prosperity of everyone and the prosperity of ourselves and the health of ourselves and, um, going back to um, being more with ourselves and what we really need to survive. Um, I think in some ways, people that are hoarding, people that are buying up all the things and really, you know, they maybe they have the funds to do it. They're in that survival mentality. They have plenty and they have plenty, plenty more than they need because um, they're, they're fearful of never having enough. And at some point, you know, there's a point where enough is enough and there's abundance all around and there's not a lack mentality that is causing us to 
have more and more and more and more and not share with anyone else. And I'm going to be interested to see how the results of this time period um, change the way that we see that in the world. Okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to edit all this back together. So there may be a little glitch here as we go back to the original recording. Okay, so that's all that I'm going to read of uh, this chapter on the root chakra. I hope it has given you some um, something to think about. Um, it just is some insight in, into where I'm at right now and the things that I'm experimenting with. Um, and I'm going to skip to um, the conclusion of uh, this chapter on the root chakra um, and then maybe share some thoughts. Without the healthy functioning of the first chakra, we are hopelessly trapped on a mundane level of existence, forever avoiding and forever dealing with the same issue, a need to solidify the ground level from which all else grows. It is my belief that if a person's ground is not somewhat intact, all other work is less effective. If the ground is intact, subsequent work proceeds in a more coherent fashion and strengthens the ground. Grounding is a slow and cumulative process. It is where we begin, yet it is always changing as a result of what we build above it. One can never work on grounding too much. Our culture, so very removed from the ground of the planet and with values that hold the body and the physical world in such low esteem, continually separates us from our ground. Regardless of childhood development, there is always work to be done to overcome the cultural programming that weakens our first chakra connection. Reclaiming the sacred temple of our bodies, our right to be here and our right to have what we need in order to survive can be a joyous reunion with the very ground of our own being and a solid beginning to the exciting journey of recovery through the chakras. Um... Yeah, um, we all have a right to have what we need in order to survive. And the survival energy is really, really strong right now with people hoarding and, and freaking out because of fear, a fear of what if, fear of the unknown, fear of not having, fear of being ill and, and losing this life um, and then economic insecurity and all of that. Um, and that's all in some ways a man that that overreaction to the fear is a manifestation of pre-existing trauma um, in my opinion and in the opinion of um, you know, the author of this book, I would say, and in the, you know, just, uh, there's a more balanced way of handling this fear. Um, and we can, rather than trying to control, 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 and letting ourselves be in a constant state of hypervigilance, we can find our way back to reasonable faith and a sense of safety um, and connection and community so that we can strengthen our own mind-body connection, our own family connections, um, our, get in touch with our inner 
like our true needs and inner desires so that we can build upon, we can create a foundation to build upon from there. I think just right now we're seeing sort of false castles crumbling to the ground. And uh, I'm not going to get more into that. <laughs> um, but maybe you get what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. Maybe this whole episode for you was a little, a little woo woo. Um, and that's okay. I'm a little woo woo. Um, uh, there's like, there's so much more in here. I'm kind of just flipping through it again. Um, flipping through the pages. I highly recommend if any of what I read to you was interesting that you pick up this book and, um, just read for yourself and, um, explore, um, your relationship to your body and, and, um, how safe you feel and how balanced you are. Um, there was one more quote that I want to end with. Um, scared is what happened when the sacred gets scrambled. Scared is what happens when the sacred gets scrambled. Cool. All right. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, may you all be healthy and well. And I look forward to connecting with you in another episode real soon here. I'm going to talk about... Um, my where I'm at with um, social distancing and uh, the choice to um, uh, not go into a public facing job and what that looks like um, what what that has looked like for me from like the decision making process feeling into the body dealing with economic uncertainty and all of that. So I look forward to connecting more soon. I hope that, um, you know, wherever you're at, that um, maybe you're, you're feeling, not maybe you're feeling well, but that you are definitely um, finding ways to stay connected with people to health, healthily cope with the stress of this. And if you're not, or if you're having trouble, please reach reach out to me. Send me a message. Um, if you've got my number, connect that way. If, if we're connected on Instagram, I'm over at Unraveling Rachel. And um, send me a message and we'll talk. I, I would love to connect with you further. Um, and we can find um, the opportunity that might be there for you or ways for you to start feeling safer um, with the current state of things. All right. Until next time, my friends, thanks for listening. Lots of love to you. Bye-bye.